word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 4. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. Well, that was, I guess you could say, at least as Matthew reports it, the very first sermon that Jesus preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How could you not love a nine-word sermon? Can I hear an amen? All right. Oh, wait, that was a little too, uh, uh, little too much gusto on that one. But, okay, well, let's just put it this way. Jesus could say in, in nine words what I'm sure no preacher could say in probably 10,000 words. But be mindful that Jesus did have longer sermons than that, okay? But really... That summarizes, from one perspective, exactly what Jesus' message often was. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me ask you, what exactly does the word repent mean? To, like, reach out to God and ask for forgiveness. I don't know. Stop or to not do it. I don't know. Um, ask God for forgiveness. That someone's doing something for somebody. Any idea? No. Go back to God and um, really like, kind of apologize for what you've done and uh, ask for forgiveness. You just want God to forgive you and you want him to know how sorry you are for your sins. So you pray for forgiveness and after that you don't try not to do that same thing over and over again. All right. Could you tell which ones were first graders, fourth graders, and eighth graders? Um... It is good to know. Now, granted, though, a word like repent, probably not something is in the first grade vocabulary too often. And, uh, and I wouldn't have expected anything more from our first graders. But if you notice, by fourth grade and then eighth grade, they really did a great job of capturing, well, what is involved with repent? And... I think it's fair to say, as, as some have pointed out, that there's perhaps what you could say a three-part or a three-word definition that captures some of the different aspects of repent. Each of these words starting with R or actually R-E, and, and those words are renounce, request, and return. Renounce. You heard what was shared. Repent means to, to say your story, to stop doing what you're doing. 
Renounce maybe is a little bit more emphatic word. And, and maybe that's very, very appropriate. To renounce something means you want nothing to do with it ever again. That's why Luther in his baptismal rite that we sometimes use says and asks the question, do you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways? And the child of God says, I do renounce them. That's what repentance means. To renounce, to want nothing to do with something that we have been participating in or perhaps something that we haven't done that we're supposed to be doing and to say, I want nothing to do with that again. But then, repent means to request the very mercy and forgiveness of God. And now here the word request maybe isn't emphatic enough. Maybe it should be beg or plead or entreat or, or plead for that God would indeed grant forgiveness. To give mercy, which means to, to not give us what we actually deserve for our sin. And finally, to return. And I like the way how it was brought out through any number of those students that once we've, we've stopped what we've done, we've, we've repented, we've uh, asked for forgiveness and um, renounced it, now we don't go back to doing the same thing again, but rather we return to the path on which God wants us to walk. Renounce, request, return. What repentance is all about. Now, I'm going to invite you to imagine for just a moment what would be going through your heart and mind if it were Jesus standing before you and preaching that sermon to you personally where he would say to you directly repent would you have any idea what he's talking about or would you say what what are you talking about Jesus i mean come on i don't I don't have really anything to repent of. I mean, after all, I mean, if you're looking for sin, there's plenty of sin over there and over there. Have you seen what those folks do? I got to tell you about this person, but, but what, what do you mean, repent? What, what are you implying, Jesus, that, that I'm not a good person? I think our sinful human nature almost always wants to go there, to justify ourselves, to explain and to rationalize why we do what we do and always to minimize it, always to make it seem like it's really not that bad, especially compared to others. But my friends, 
That doesn't work. Oh, it can work with, with a preacher. It can work with uh, a friend, a spouse, a parent, a child. But not with Jesus. He knows. And you see, he knows that God's law has been written on our conscience and in our heart. And as we hear God's word, we're also reminded of what God's law says to us. That it shows us who we really are. So when Jesus says to you, repent, what is it? Or how many things would you justify or perhaps would your head bow in humility would your eyes well up with tears would your heart be overwhelmed with the knowledge that he knows all and that you absolutely do not even deserve to be in his presence that like Peter, we should say, depart from me, Lord, because I am a sinful person. You see, Jesus knows our condition. And he knows that when he says repent, he knows exactly where our heart is and where it should be. I guess another question we might ask is, when Jesus says that word, repent to us, what tone of voice might he be using? This sermon that Jesus preached as referenced in Matthew chapter 4, if you go back a chapter in Matthew chapter 3, that's where we, we first, Matthew introduces us to this person named John the Baptist. And it's fascinating that as Matthew reports it, John the Baptist said the exact same nine-word sermon, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I've heard John the Baptist in the scriptures or seen him depicted in any kind of movies or dramas, I think it's fairly accurate to say that he seemed to be like one of those good old-fashioned preachers. You know the kind, right? Like some of you might have grown up with or maybe some of you still have the old fire and brimstone. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You sinners that have come here as he gathered along the Jordan River. I think Jesus could speak with that same tone as needed. And in fact, we have places in the scriptures and the gospels where it seems, in fact, he did just that. Is that the tone that we need? I dare say sometimes it very well may be. A tone that cuts through all of the excuses and the justifications. A tone that reminds us just how serious all sin, every sin, any sin is if we continue to indulge it. We may need to hear just that. 
that fierce law, that fierce fire and brimstone. Don't you realize you're heading in the wrong direction? Turn around, stop, and come back. If that's what we need to hear, then may it be heard. But I also think that Jesus is able to say that word repent to you and me in a much different tone. Perhaps one more like repent. One of understanding, one of knowledge, one of entreating, one of pleading and begging, one of compassion. Won't you please repent? Don't you see that I want the best for you? Do you not know that if you follow in my path, your life will be much more fulfilled than if you get tricked and fooled and deceived by all that is out there? Repent, won't you? And if that's the word of repentance that we need to hear then so be it. Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, speaks that same word to you and me today. But there's still the question, what ultimately do I have to repent of? And that's why it's so important to be in the word, to hear God's word, to study it, to read it for ourselves. In our epistle lesson for today, we had a classic example of an occasion which God's word speaks a law to people, including you and me, that says repent. Now the setting is one of a Christian congregation, namely that church which had been um, established in the Greek city of Corinth. And although we are far removed from that congregation by time and distance and culture and so many different things, yet I wonder if there isn't something from Paul's message to them that also may speak to you and me today. Because you see, as you read through just that first chapter and the first several chapters, you discover that what this Christian congregation was dealing with were they were not unified. And apparently, one of their uh, disagreements or divisions within their congregation had to do with, of all things, the pastors. Apparently, well, we, re we hear in, in Acts chapter, um, in, in Paul's second missionary journey, that he's the one who founded this congregation. So you have Paul was their first pastor, the founding father, if you will, of this Christian congregation can you even imagine how much esteem and respect that such a one might have had? But after some time, the Holy Spirit moved Paul someplace else, and he was replaced, as we read, by a man named Apollos. Now, if you wanted to hear a preacher, apparently this Apollos was your guy. 
Apparently, this Apollos was very eloquent. He could turn a phrase. He could mesmerize people. He probably worked so much on what he was going to say and delivered it flawlessly that every word imagined. You can imagine the people coming just to hear him speak and how many followers he must have attracted. And apparently at some point in their ministry time, even St. Peter may have come and visited the church at Corinth. Now, sometimes he's known as Cephas, but, but Peter, you remember him. I mean, how much better can you get? How much closer to Christ? I mean, this is a guy that went fishing with him. This is the guy who denied him and yet was restored. I mean, this is Peter, and here he is coming to the congregation. Wow. You don't think people were impressed by that? And then apparently there was even a group who through all of these little cliques and subgroups, they were perhaps the type that were able to look and say, oh, look at these people who are so, so, um, you know, divisive and so forth. Now, we, we have it right. We belong to Christ and kind of a condescension and a looking down on the others. That's what Paul means when he writes to them. He said, I've gotten reports that, that, that you guys are quarreling, that there are divisions, that you're not unified. One says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, and another, I follow Cephas, and yet another, I follow Christ. And he says, brothers and sisters, this is not what a Christian congregation is like. You are to be united in the mission, in the body of Christ, where all are members of the same. Now again, removed by time and distance and space and culture, do you think Paul's words could apply to any Christian congregation today? Not necessarily maybe regarding pastors or things like that, but are there things that could separate or divide or cause different cliques or groups within a congregation to kind of look askance at other groups, to kind of look um, suspiciously or judgmentally at some who might do something different or who might um, have different thoughts on different things? Do you think that's possible? And ultimately, Paul's message to the Corinthians and Jesus' message to you and me and all Christians today, repent. We all need that sermon. But let us not forget the rest of that sermon. The kingdom of heaven is at Hand. The kingdom of heaven, the place where God makes his rule, where he is in control, and things go as he wants them to, not as we or the rest of the world want them to. The kingdom of heaven is a place where people are able to confess their sins, renounce them, but then receive the free grace and forgiveness that Jesus came to bring. 
a place where people are restored and reconciled and unity can happen. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's here, Jesus was saying. And that message is still the same today. Oh yes, we're thousands of years removed from Jesus' earthly ministry, but Jesus is present here in the same way with his grace and love and forgiveness and peace as he has ever been with his people. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. May that be your joy. May that be the message that you hear from our Lord. In his name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.